0: Welcome to Law Talk, a podcast series produced by the University of Minnesota Law School, featuring events, webinars, and panel discussions about diverse topics at the intersection of law, policy, and education. On this episode, Minnesota Supreme Court Q&A, Minnesota Law annually hosts a Minnesota Supreme Court oral argument with students in attendance. Following the hearing, Minnesota Law students were able to pose questions to the members of the Minnesota Supreme Court. Gaining insights into serving on the highest bench of the state, this Law Talk bonus episode will highlight that Q&A. This event was recorded on April 7th, 2022. The hearing and Q&A are both available on the Minnesota Law YouTube channel. Subscribe to the Minnesota Law Podcast feed on SoundCloud or via your preferred podcast network for more Law Talk episodes, as well as other podcast content produced by Minnesota Law.
1: Council, we're going to take some time to visit with the students. You're welcome to remain. You're also welcome to go, and if I were you, I'd go. Um, <laughs> it's up to you. Uh, we're going to do, th- uh, we're do um, three things here. We're going, the court's going to very briefly introduce ourselves, we're then going to give our law clerks an opportunity to introduce themselves, and then most importantly, we're going to take your questions. Um, I, it has been explained to me by the dean, Professor Soper, staff, I haven't heard from the president of the law school, or president of the university yet, but I'm sure that's next, that we got a hard out at 10.30. So uh, uh, keep that in mind uh, as, we're, uh, as we're going along here. Uh, by way of introduction, my name is Barry Anderson. I'm an associate justice on this court. Uh, I've served on this court since 2004. I previously served on the court of appeals. I had the privilege of graduating from the University of Minnesota Law School. Uh, I was uh, part of the second class to graduate from uh, this building. We started in Fraser Hall. I practiced law in Fairmont and Hutchinson, had a general civil trial practice. Uh, Justice Hudson.
2: I'm Natalie Hudson, and I also am an alumni of the school, graduating in 1982. Um, I've been on the court uh, since 2016. I was on the Court of Appeals uh, for 13 years before that. Uh, Most of my practice has been in the public sector. And um, that's all I'll say, I'll turn it over to
3: Justice Chuditch. Hi everyone, um, Margaret Chutich. Um I have been on the Supreme Court six years now. I was on the uh, Court of Appeals four years before that, and I mainly was in the public sector in my practice at the Attorney General's office and a, as a prosecutor at the US Attorney's Office and I graduated, uh, undergraduate from the U, but my last uh, degree was from the other U of M, sorry about that.
4: (laughs) Uh, Bonjour, my name is Anne McKegg. I uh, have been on the court since 2016. I hail from Federal Dam, Minnesota, Leech Lake Reservation. (laughs) I'm the first native female on any Supreme Court across the United States um and before that i was on the district court for almost nine years and then in the hennepin county attorney's office so happy to be here
5: uh paul teeson i've been on the court since 2018 and i uh, as a lawyer worked in practice uh mainly for civil taft is the firm now it was a different name back when i worked there uh doing business litigation uh and then at Lindquist and venom which is now called ballard spar doing healthcare regulatory work um, and served worked as a public defender, uh, public defender for a while. Um, and uh, then was in the legislature for 16 years, including two years as Speaker of the House. And um, I guess that's
6: all Good morning, everybody. I'm Gordon Moore. Uh, I know I've heard references in the media to uh, COVID babies. I might be the COVID justice uh, <laughs> who arrived in the uh, cover of darkness, uh, so to speak. <laughs> In uh, the middle of the pandemic, in August of uh, of uh, 2020, as I alluded to during my questioning of counsel, I was a district court judge for eight and a half years. Prior to that, I was in way outstate Minnesota, Nobles County, fifth just the outer reaches of the fifth judicial district, which David Lillahardt used to call. Greater, greater Minnesota. <laughs> and uh, I, I spent 25 years uh, in Worthington. Uh, before being a judge, I was a county attorney. I was a private practice lawyer at a small firm in Worthington and actually started uh, up here in, at, with the Attorney General's office. So it's uh, great to be here.
1: Let's uh, introduce our law clerks very briefly to you. We'll do this by uh, in order of uh, chamber seniority. Again, just uh, uh, name law school uh, and who you clerk for. Let's start with the chambers of the Chief Justice. Will, you're sitting on the aisle. We'll start with you. Just stand up and tell the people who you are. Uh, I'm Will Wright.
0: I graduated from the U. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, Will Wright. I graduated from the U last year. Um, and as Justice Anderson uh, said, I, I have the privilege of working for the Chief Justice.
3: My name is Melanie Griffith. I graduated from the U last year as well, and I clerk for Chief Justice Gilday.
1: Just go ahead. Go ahead. Just oh, okay. go ahead. Yeah.
4: It's- All right. I'm out of order seniority-wise. Um, but my name is Amanda Tatarik. I graduated last year from the U, and I have the privilege of clerking for Justice McKeg. <laughs> Hi, I'm Camila Pacheco-Fores. I am a law clerk for Justice Anderson and Justice Moore, and I graduated from the U last year as well.
0: I'm Nathan Webster. I graduated from the U last year, and I'm clerking for Justice Judich.
3: Good morning. I'm Claire Beyer. I graduated from Mitchell-Hamlin last year, and I am Justice Moore's law clerk.
1: Anybody else? Looks like we're ready to go with some questions. We'll, we'll take questions. We'll be answering them in order of seniority. So you just ask your question generally of the court and um, we'll take it. Uh, there may be some questions we can't answer or shouldn't answer, and if so, we'll tell you. So let's begin. Who's got a question?
4: Good morning. Thank you for doing this. This was a really cool opportunity. I was just curious if you guys were ever thought that you would end up on the bench, and if you did, was that a, like a dream or like an ambition?
1: So, so the question is, uh, did we ever anticipate being on the bench? And the answer in my case is no. Uh, I uh, I graduated, I when I graduated from law school in 1979, I wanted to be a civil trial lawyer. I did that. I sort of stumbled into the Court of Appeals. I won't tell you the story, uh, but it was not something that uh, I planned on doing. And I would just say for those of you who might have some interest someday in, in serving as a member of the judiciary, um, you, you know, you, the best way to sort of, visualize or to to make that dream come true is to just be good at your job, to be professional uh, and to um, uh, do what you you need to do uh, to represent your clients and then um, hopefully the chips will fall in that direction. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't.
0: Next question. Uh, Hi, Uh, I know obviously the United States Supreme Court sort of grants cert whenever there's maybe differences in the circuits and that kind of thing, Um, but we only have one Court of Appeals here. Just wondering if you could talk a little bit about why you decide to take certain cases. Uh,
2: Sure, our decisions are guided by rule uh, and by statute. Uh, We have a list of criteria that we look at, Uh, uh, first and foremost among them is, an issue usually of statewide importance. This case is a perfect example of that. It doesn't just affect the the parties that were represented here today, but it's an issue that affects the state broadly. Uh, Often issues of constitutional significance. This case is an example of that as well, where a statute is being challenged or a particular action is being challenged as unconstitutional. Uh, We will take cases where uh, it appears there is a split sometimes in the state. Hennepin County is doing it one way, Pennington County is doing it some other way, and we, we take a case to resolve the law um, or to clarify the law. So, those tend to be the, the big categories of, of cases that we'll take. Sometimes we'll take cases where um, we're being asked to create a new rule of law or a, a, a law is being um, interpreted in a way that, that we think is unusual and is legally improper. and so. Those are the, the big category of, uh, of cases uh, that, that we take, so.
3: Hi, um, I wanted to say thank you for doing this. Um, I have sort of a broader question. So, you know, like in every case you're seeing, you're, you have someone who's been harmed, right? And that's why the case is um, in your court. So I guess my question is how do you deal with it when, um, there's like a grave harm that exists in the case, but maybe the law isn't in favor of the person who has been harmed? Like how does that weigh into your decision? Does it weigh on you personally? Um, I guess for me, that does happen. And um, what I tend to do, I think, to make myself feel better personally is I work really hard on that case and make sure that um, that is the result that has to happen. Because it does, you know, there's sometimes, it doesn't happen all that often, luckily. But, um, you know, you want to feel good about the result that, that you, that your, um, you know, your opinion is stating. And sometimes the, the law is just very clear, and it's maybe not the law that Margaret Chuditch personally thinks should be in, in place. But that's not my job. You know, I'm, I've got to do what the legislature says if it's clear, even if I think it's dumb. <laughs> Don't tell the legislature I said that. <laughs> Please. Um, so there's a little dissonance sometimes, but um, that's our job. We've, you know, we've taken an oath and um, we have to do the best that we can.
5: Hi, once again, I'll, I'll just reiterate the comments of my classmates. Thank you so much for being here. Um, when you have a really difficult and amorphous right, like, um, for example, what we're dealing with here, obviously you don't have to speak to that, but when you have a difficult test that's given to you from, the, from higher courts, um, how, what efforts do you take to kind of ground yourself in maybe concepts that are familiar or tests that are familiar or cases that are familiar that sort of make the application of, of a difficult sort of test a, a bit easier for you?
4: We hire really good law clerks. (laughs) In in all seriousness, I mean, we've got the commissioner's office. So, you know, that's the great thing about having a group of seven. I will say, you know, you come from the district court and it's you making the decisions. And you're like, oh, man, I hope this is right. But as (laughs) I used to always say, it's like, well, those people up there, they'll figure it out if I got it wrong. Um, And that is comforting to know that there are seven really good minds here. Uh, Along with all of the assistance of our great clerks in the commissioner's office that help us um, Hopefully get it right
3: Hi, I'm wondering if you could
4: speak generally about the role of oral arguments and how that helps you decide um, your decision
5: Uh, Well, it it helps in a lot of cases. I mean not every case I guess Um, but you know, I think the it gives us a real chance, as you hopefully saw a little bit today, to kind of test out the contours of the argument. Because a lot of what we have to do, right, especially in cases like this, is draw lines and kind of figure out where those lines are drawn. And so I don't know if there was any real he- hypotheticals asked today. But, you know, so we'll we'll press the lawyers to kind of understand really what it is they want the rule of law to be, right? And, and, um, and so just, I guess, one thing that I would advise everybody as they're if they're, as they're preparing for oral arguments in either here or in your future career. I mean, if you can come up with like, uh, you know, two or three sentence summary of what you think the rule of law that should apply in this case that obviously helps your client, but that can be defended in a lot of other cases, that's, I think, really, really helpful to, to think about and help ground you in what, the, what your oral argument should be built around. Because uh, that, at the end of the day, is what we're ultimately, I think, looking for.
1: Next question. If we run out of questions, we ask you questions. (laughs) (laughs) There we go.
3: Yeah, I want to avoid being asked questions (laughs) (laughs) by the Minnesota Supreme Court. Um, My question is um, regarding deliberation. What kinds of um, processes do you go through? Do you have um, a system that you go through as you kind of work through these cases um, what does that look like practically when you sit down um, to make decisions on cases
6: justice Moore Thank you uh, justice Anderson yes there is a very uh, formalistic process for consideration of cases we we meet immediately after oral arguments we retire to a to a um, conference room or deliberation room and I'm pleased to say that we've been using our capital courtroom since last August for in-person hearings and for the first time this April since I've been on the court we've actually deliberated cases in our conference room there which has been fun Uh, we we have a a process where the uh, usually the person who the case is assigned to makes a report to the court Uh, based on the input from the law clerks, uh, the bench memoranda, and the uh, uh, commissioner's office. And then uh, we go in order, descending order of seniority from the person who's making the report uh, for people to express their opinions on the cases, ask questions. And then ultimately the chief justice speaks last. And uh, we take a preliminary vote at that point uh, for purposes of assigning the case to a particular author. Um, Sometimes that changes uh, during the process of of writing the opinion. We have had a few cases where the preliminary vote changes uh, during the process of circulation. But generally speaking, that preliminary vote is what ends up being more or less the contours of the decision. Um, The author of the case then prepares the majority opinion and sends it to any justice who's doing a concurrence or a dissent. and we get to a final uh, version that uh, is reviewed by the commissioner and then goes out, and hopefully in a in a reasonable amount of time. Although considering some cases just do take longer because of the complexity and separate writings.
1: You know, and I want to just add to that: uh, we take that whole deliberation process, and that be, that deliberation process really begins in the oral argument. You can, you know, you're trying to figure out how you how you're going to decide that case, uh, and from there until the date the opinion is released, um, you're working on the results that are going to form that opinion. And without getting into the specifics or naming any particular case, I can tell you that in my 18 years on the court, I recall at least one incident where a case flipped twice. It went around one way, um, was uh, 4-3, and um, uh, after reading all of the writings from the various justices, somebody changed their mind, it flipped again and then flipped it one more time uh, before it was finally released. And you may say to yourself, if you're having to do all that right, you, you know, can we please be done with this? Uh, but but the reality is that's a sign of a court that takes its responsibilities very seriously. Uh, and that's been my experience over the course of these 18 years on this court and, my, and, and on the Court of Appeals as well. So, Next question.
5: Hey, uh, I just want to echo everyone's sentiment. I, I really appreciate that you were here to do this today. Um, it's it's nice to get like some real world real world exposure to what lawyering is like. Um, I just wanted to know how, uh, I guess, whichever justice is, is next to answer the question, how you deal with a case that's really on the margins for you, that you, you really don't know how you want to come out. Um, the law doesn't appear to be very clear. You know, it's. It's, at best, a coin toss. What's your process for figuring out where to go from there? Justice Hudson? Um,
2: You dig in. You really have to dig into the law. And you spend more time uh, with the relevant cases. You might spend some time with, uh, you know, other uh, academic work, law review articles, other treatises. Um, You know, uh, you spend time talking through the issue with your law clerk. Uh, possibly talking with the commissioner's office as well. Um, and, uh, and I think those are the cases, speaking to this other question, where oral argument can also be tremendously helpful. It's in those really close cases that you want an opportunity to have that conversation with experienced counsel who know that, that, that area, who know that particular area well and who know that case well so that you can kind of tease out, you know, and take that deeper dive about the law and the practical implications of it. And as Justice Tyson was saying, what are those boundaries? Because, because we are a court of last resort, again, it's not just a resolution for these parties. How is this going to play out in all these other cases? So, because whatever opinion we write is likely going to be the law for the state of Minnesota for 40, 50, 100 years. And so you take oral argument in those cases, in particular, as an opportunity to really tease out the party's arguments. What are the strengths? What are the weaknesses? What about this? Where, what are the limits to this holding? If we do that, is it Katie bar the door? Um, and if we do that, then what? Um, and so you really spend the time, you know, before we come out on, before I get on the bench, I've spent the time with the party's briefs, I've spent the time with the case law, hashing it around with my clerk and then you come into oral argument and you try to get the best you can uh, from, from experienced uh, counsel uh, to help you, you know, see what the boundaries are and where the pitfalls are. Can the I other thing I minute. would say, and then I'll go back to the... No, that's great. Um, to whoever asked me that first question about how we decide what cases to take, the other thing you should know is, you know, we've got an, a, an, an intermediate court, the Court of Appeals, there are 19 judges. Appeals to that court... Are automatic they're required to take those cases and so the appellate court the intermediate court they hear something like 2,000 cases a year I mean they're issuing opinions all year round you know we issue maybe 90 100 opinions a year but that's because appeal to us is not as of right it is as the questioner asks. it's by not cert but um, it's much like the U.S. Supreme Court. We've got criteria, and so we're looking at a very small fraction of the total cases that are, that are appealed. Um, and again, it's that, that criteria that we look at to determine which cases we take. Just as Yeah, just
5: on that last one, I mean, I, one thing I think it's always important to note is, you know, sometimes it, we, we make it feel like the law is always going to give us the answer, and I think this is what your, your question is raising. But the law is not like math in that way, right? And so, at the end of the day, we you got to dig in and do all that work. But experience that you bring to the bench and your colleagues' experience, your gut, you know, your sense of fairness, your judgment as a I mean, this this is a a person human job and not just like a computer job in a sense. And so, I think it's just always important, especially you know, for lawyers to just remember that that it's not an algorithm that we're working through, but it's, it's all of the lawyers are human, the clients are human, and we always have to, you know, people, we always have to remember, you know, someone raised this before about, you know, very difficult cases. Um, and judges are human and have to bring their kind of own humanity to the job as well. And I we, I just think it's important that we n- yeah. we never forget that.
2: I would echo that and I think that's, I totally agree with, with uh, Justice Thiessen. And I think that also speaks to why it's important that there's a diversity of people yes. on this court. You don't want, you know, seven Natalie Hudson's. Um, You don't want, well, you don't. (laughs) Uh, You definitely don't. You really don't. don't
3: I like you too, Justin (laughs) Next, we've got just
1: a couple minutes left for a couple of questions.
3: Yeah, hi, just kind of speaking to that diversity, it's no secret that in the legal profession and most professions that systemic issues such as like race, class, gender, Um, how do those factor into your jurisprudence, if at all? And what advice would you have for future lawyers who are trying to overcome those adversities?
1: Justice Schuetz, it's your turn. (laughs)
3: Um, I'm sorry I missed the beginning of the question, but um, I'll tell you just one, we're almost out of time, but I'll tell you just one thing that I do, you know, to keep in mind, we all, you know, we all bring uh, certain attitudes to the bench, and we all have biases. So, when I'm deciding a case, like let's say where gender is an issue, what I purposely do is once, um, as I'm arriving at the at the decision, I'll flip the, the gender, uh, use a different um, gender and say, am I, you know, am I comfortable with that result too? You know, just to check that I'm not favoring uh, one gender or the other, I do that in. In race cases too, um, in in uh, our criminal cases, I never look at pictures of the defendant. Um, I don't I don't want to know when race is not brought up. I don't want to even know what the race of the defendant is, just in case you know that I that I have some internal biases that I that I'm not you know, cognizant about. So I I take certain steps like that just to try and be as fair as possible um, to everybody who comes before our court. Can I just, there's a flip side,
5: I think, to the question too. I'm I'm sorry that you could see I like to. you see our problems? He's
1: not the only one, by the way.
5: (laughs) There's also an underlying question there about what we do as a court in thinking about cases. Not eliminating our own bias, but there's bias in the court system in general, you know, on a lot of levels. And I think that is something that's important for us to keep in mind as we develop our jurisprudence and we haven't his, you know, as much as we should historically. Um, and so I think that there are, I think that as you ask that question, is what a new lawyer, I can't, don't know who asked the question, so I'm generally looking in that direction. But um, <laughs> that is something to bring, but one thing that's really important, it's on this issue and everything else. We can't get to that issue at our court unless the record is developed below so if there are serious issues that you think need to be raised about not just the specifics of this case but that there's an underlying issue make sure you're raising all this stuff and developing the record in the district court so you can actually get i mean the problem we can't get to a lot of these issues because they're just not before us and that's true of lots of issues but in this area in particular it's just whatever that's worth i think it's i think there's there's serious arguments that can be made by lawyers about kind of systemic problems in our justice system, but if it's going to be dealt with in the court, and it's going to have to be dealt with by our court, you got to get the issue in front of us.
1: You know, we're officially out of time. I'm just going to say one thing, uh, at this topic, but more generally, the heavy lifting in the Minnesota judicial branch, I mean, it's this is a great court. I have great colleagues. It's an honor to serve on the terminal court for the state of Minnesota, the Minnesota Supreme Court. Heavy lifting is done in our district courts. We have members of this court who served there previously. Everybody on this court has had the opportunity to try cases and be involved in district court matters. And of the two, the 800 and some odd thousand cases that, uh, that will be touched by the judicial system by a judge in some fashion, most of those go through the district court. You know, we'll, we'll issue about 100 opinions or so. When you folks get the opportunity to practice law, um, the work that you do in the district court, if that's where your legal career takes you, is really, really important. Even if there, so even if some of your colleagues wind up uh, appearing before our court, or other members of your colleague, colleagues wind up being appellate judges somewhere, the work that you do in the district courts is really important, and it affects individual people and the individual rights of Minnesota residents. So um, we're delighted to be part of your day here today. Um, we all have an interest in in a successful uh, judiciary and then a successful uh, bar. And you're gonna be part of that. And we're looking forward to seeing you as you begin your professional career in the not too very far distant future. Thank you all very much.
0: This podcast has been brought to you by the University of Minnesota Law School. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And subscribe to our YouTube channel, for more Minnesota Law stories, news, and information. To subscribe to the official Minnesota Law podcast channel, please visit soundcloud.com backslash Minnesota Law or find us on your preferred podcast network. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of nor are they endorsed by the University of Minnesota or the University of Minnesota Law School. None of the content should be considered legal advice.